Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. We're celebrating the 100th recording of Des's Island Discs. So our special guest is the man whose music has been most requested on the series, the great Christy Moore. Christy, thanks for joining us. And we'll go straight into your first song, Blow the Wind Southerly by Kathleen Ferrieu. I suppose the first voice that really influenced me or that really affected me emotionally was my mother's voice. And my mother was Nancy Power from the Yellow Furs uh, between Navan and Slane. And she used to sing in the Dominican church in Newbridge on Sunday mornings. And hearing her sing from the organ loft really went in very deep, you know. And obviously there are no uh, recordings of, of Mammy. But this recording by Kathleen Ferrier, there's something about the the tone of her voice and the depth and the passion and the fact that it's a cappella. Every time I hear this uh, blow the wind, it just always reminds me of my mother and the power of song. She was a a strong, remarkable woman, your mother, because she didn't have it easy. No, she was, was, I mean, everybody's mam is special. You know, but our our mom was. Um, she didn't have it easy. No, she 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 started her life as I said in County Meath, and and then she met Daddy in Tremor, uh in the war years. They got married, and and she moved to Newbridge, and really settled in there, and became part of the fabric of Newbridge. And uh, herself and Daddy had six children, and uh, I was the eldest. Daddy died in 1956 very suddenly and left her a young widow. She took it on from there. Probably responsibilities with the eldest child as well, is there? I, I don't really know about that, you know. I think it was very... It was, mainly it was very, very difficult for her. Uh, uh, I think I kind of went on the run a bit, you know. I, 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 I took off fairly early down the town and out to the Cora and over to Kildare and anywhere I could kind of get away from it all, yeah. you know. That probably made it more tough for her. <laughs> she, was, she was an amazing woman, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, she, she instilled the, the, the love of song, particularly song in us all, you know. Uh, she, she, there was always singing going on in the house. Was she a political woman? She was political, yeah. Uh, in, her young, in her young life, uh, she was involved in Sinn Féin in, in, in Navan, and uh, then... Daddy went into politics, uh, and after he died, she took over his his positions mm. in both the town commissioners and in the Kildare County Council. And yeah, she was she was political. Yeah, and your dad was he independent? No, he was Fine Gael. Was he? He was a fin- he, he was a, an old Fine Gaeler, <laughs> and you know she followed him into into uh, she assumed his his seats yes, then, yeah. and but then was subsequently elected. But eventually went independent. And do you remember those? Do you remember her campaigning or her election? Very well, yeah. Well, I, I, I remember at one stage I, I was in my early days singing in England. This would be about 67. And I actually came back and, and canvassed for her. 
yeah. just for a few days. But I came back and voted for her as well. But that kind of all ground to a halt, and, and, and she threw the towel in with the politics uh, a number of years before she retired. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, this blows the wind southerly. And Kathleen Ferrier, by the way, is a very interesting woman as well. She was a big star who died young. She died at 41, and she'd been ill for a while, and oh. was never properly paid. And it was really she was really only appreciated on her death. Yeah. Uh, but it, an interesting voice. It's a heck oh, of a voice. Yeah. It really goes in deep. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That was Blow the Wind Southerly by Kathleen Ferrier, the choice of today's guest, Christy Moore. Do you listen to music as a way of relaxation separate from your work? Very little. Well, particularly in recent months, I'm working every day at different times of the day on songs. I'm also revising. I'm going back to old songs and taking them out again and playing them and see if I could get them back up again, you know. But there are times when I like to quietly listen to, put on the headphones and just listen. But it would never be for hours or anything. Mm -hmm. And it's usually singers I go to, you know. I would very seldom listen to 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 rock or to classical music or to heavy metal. Although I would listen to all those things occasionally. Mm. I like a bit of metal late at night sometimes. Yeah. Uh, when everybody's gone to bed, bang on Metallica for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, yeah occasionally, yeah. Uh, I like the videos of, of, of the heavy metalers, yeah. you know. They're very funny, some of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but mainly I, I, will, I will go back to to certain singers. Also, I would listen to a fair bit of Liam O'Gaflin since he died. And uh, every time I listen to him, I wish to God I'd spent more time playing with him before he passed, you know. We might chat about that later. Patsy Cline features Christy. She's a go-to singer for me, like very often when, when I just want to listen to a bit of music. I nearly always pay Patsy Cline. Again, she goes in deep with me, you know. Uh, but also the, the production on her. I just love the production on her recordings. I love the way you can hear everything distinctly and yet it doesn't impinge upon the upon the lyric. And there's great emotion in her singing. Yeah, I, I, I go to Patsy Cline fairly regular. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. When your friends pass, you know, as you as you get older, it happens obviously more often compared to when you're young and a oh, friend, yeah. and it's yeah. kind of this massive impact when you're young. You mentioned Liam O'Flynn, and yeah, does it does it get it easier at all? Because obviously Liam was central in your life as well. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't get any easier, and, and obviously for for the people who are closest to, to, to the the musicians, it, it's a lot more traumatic. But like for me, as, as particularly when people I've played with or people with whom I've shared music with, th there is another dimension there, you know. You go back and you listen to them. And last year it was Artie Madlin. Mm. Going back and listen to some of Artie's amazing licks, and he was a great accompanist as well. And and uh, and then he he brought out a beautiful album, which I don't know if it's been played at all. It's called Botera. And that's where he's from, his, his, his homeland. And the most beautiful Artie Madlin album released shortly before he died. Artie was, he was a very special man, a very, very witty man and a wonderful musician. Is there always fun? I mean, when you, when you have a lot of artists working together, it can be tense, it can be, you know, you might agree in it. But when you look back on various people you played with, what do you, what do you recall? Is it the fun times? Is it... I think the fun times and then 
if 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 the music has lived on, it's lived on for a reason. Like I I often think back to early Planksty days. Like the first two years in Planksty was a wonderful time, seventy two and seventy three. Like we were young and we were hitting the high spots. We were on the road and we had a transit van with aeroplane seats, as if you don't mind, <laughs> and uh, travelling the the length and breadth of Ireland and playing everywhere. And we had such crack. And we made music that has survived and still gets played. How many would have been in the in the van? Six or eight of you? Or? Well, initially just the four of oh, us. Oh, just the four of you. Yeah, we didn't have any road crew at all. And Liam and I shared the driving. Donald would be asleep in the back. And uh, Andy used to look after the money, split it five ways. Uh, one for me, one for Donald, one for Andy, one for Des Kelly. <laughs> God be good to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And they're, they're, are they the happier memories? Is that, is that, that was your youth, of course. I think the first few years in Planksty were the most remarkable of all the different outfits I've played in, you know. But then in the last couple of years, I, I, I've played with a trad outfit with Martin O'Connor and uh, Jim Higgins, Cahill Hayden. We, we made some nice music. And then with the Compañeros, with, with Declan Sinnott and Donald Lunny again, and then with Moving Hearts. Yeah all the different outfits all good memories and uh, of course there was hard times as well but I don't dwell on those oh. what are what are hard times when you say that well when you, when you might be struggling I mean moving hearts really struggled for a while financially okay. and uh, we didn't get many gigs and uh, nobody we found it very hard to get recorded and uh, the same with Planksty in the early days, but it was different then because we were, were young and yeah, we no responsibilities. Yeah. We were footloose and fancy free. That's extraordinary about Moving Hearts because it was full of talented musicians. How, how, how does that arise, I wonder? That? It was the politics. It was the politics of the band and uh, the fact that we, we made a stand on, on certain issues. Like, and and uh, we sang about the hunger strikes and uh, we sang about the the blanket protest and we sang about section 31 and that didn't go down that well you know i mean you have always sung about what you you know issues and social injustice and on a whole host of topics haven't you well that's that's been my life uh, and like when i started off first I, I was really as a young lad at 16 i was attracted to the ballads and then when i was about 22 or 23 I became aware of the songs of Ewan McCall and I became aware of the fact that songs didn't, we, didn't, we could sing about more than the old days or we could sing about more than the old historical ballads that it was possible to be relevant and to, to sing songs of the day. And uh, while I've always remained interested in the old songs, now I would be striving more to, to, to sing songs that are relevant and contemporary. You wrote about Stardust, the Magdalene Laundries. I mean, everyone knows, but you've you've written about huge issues. Uh, I, I have, but I've also been sent a lot of songs, and I've, I've the Magdalene Laundries, for example, was written by Joni Mitchell, yeah. and and uh, but I got very involved in that song. It, it just sometimes songs will take me away. Nigel Rolfe wrote a song about Anne Lover, mm-hmm. and again, uh, I, I I became immersed in in that song, you know, and. I like I like to I like to write songs that have a bit of crack, but yeah. I also like to write songs that mean something, if only to myself. Yeah. And then it's a bonus if the song goes out and 
other people become involved in it. Yeah, we'll chat about the crack because, I mean, you've been a king of writing songs that people enjoy and have a laugh to or, or, or performing them, certainly. But some of your songs, because there is social injustice in them, there's a great sadness too, isn't there? In uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if I sing about Veronica Guerin or if I sing about Anne Lovett or if I sing about the Stardust, I mean, they're the feelings that come into the room, mm. you know. When a song stills the night, that's always great feeling, yeah. you know. Yeah. When you sing a song to a room full of people and at the end of the song there's a silence, a moment, a moment of silence, that's a really special time. A piece you've chosen, Tom Shim Culler. Obviously, Liam is playing in this, and, and, and you mentioned before how much he meant to you, and you reflect on him a bit now. Oh, yeah. I suppose if I look back over, I think of all the different people I, I've been privileged to share music. Um, Liam is out, the outstanding one, you know, and Liam's music goes in very, very deep, and... At the time, you know, when we got together with Liam first, I remember the first time I heard Liam. We were all very young. We were probably still in our teens. And it was at Pat, Pat Dowling's Pub in Prosperous where there used to be a Kyoto session every Wednesday night. And the gang of us used to go out from uh, out from Newbridge in Mick Kern's Bedford van to the Kyoto session. And uh, Liam was there one night. And it was the first time I'd heard Ellen Pipes. The bar was set fairly high from day mm, one, yeah. you know. And then when we got together, Liam had been a teacher up to the time he joined Planksty, whereas Andy and Donald and I had been knocking around a bit on the road with gigs. It was a big move for Liam. Also, he was coming from a kind of a conservative area of Irish music, some areas of which were quite narrow in their vision. And it was a brave step for him. Was he nervous about it? I think he was. He, he, he was. He was a bit shaky about it. But eventually, people whom he trusted were Kimmer. His father, for example, the, the master from Kill, he 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 um, he approved of Planksty. And then Seamus Ennis gave Planksty his blessing, and that made it easier for Liam. But but gradually he softened, and you know the hair started to grow a bit, and uh, he got into the flares and and the clogs <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were all in the same boat after a while, you know. <laughs> and and you were making money. Well, we started to make a living. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We, we we never made money in yeah. Planksty. We we always knocked just knocked it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. But we were happy guys. And the venues you would have played, you would have played theatres as well as. Well, well, starting off, we we actually we started off in Slattery's in Capel Street. We had our own gig there called the Mugs Gig, which ran every Monday night, and then we started playing in the Old Shealing. Uh, and then we played in the embankment. And then Des Kelly took us under his wing. Des was of the Capital Show Band, and then he went into management. And he used to manage Sweeney's men. So Andy asked him, would he have a listen to Planksty? And he came and heard Planksty. And I remember the first time he heard us, there was tears in his eyes. He, he was so moved by the music. Wow. And straight away he signed us up. And we recorded our first song uh, on his label, Ruby Records. And we recorded a a song called The Three Drunken Maidens, which segued into the Dublin Reel. And uh, we were on our way. And then we recorded, the second single was The Cliffs of Dunneen. And Gayburn fell in love with that and invited us on to the Late Late Show. It was starting to happen for us in 1972. Well, the Late Late... 
back in 72, was that still a landmark oh, yeah. step up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, getting to play on the late, late then was was the business, you know. Mm. And then things started to change. We, we went from playing, we, we, then we started to gigging in, in kind of big lounges around the country, um, Chock Furbo and Cotters of Inverne and different places around. And then we moved on up into the cinemas. And I remember we, we were the first one to do the Carlton in O'Connell Street. I saw you in the Carlton. Which, yeah. Jamaican. That was a big night for us. Yeah. It coincided with the release of the first album, uh, the first Planksty album. Yeah. And that Carlton was, that was something, you know. And then we played in the Savoy in Cork and the Savoy in Limerick and... It was oh, it was yeah. a wild and wonderful time. And yet, Planks only lasted a relatively short time. Well, years. first time round, yeah. I think it was three years. Yeah. And I mean, all told, I think Planksty probably were in existence for maybe four or five years. Yeah. But then the Beatles were only going for seven years, <laughs> and look what they did, you know. But and yet, even though you went solo then, but you, but did, you were all intertwined subsequently in your in your lives and careers. Yeah, we kept kind of yeah. meeting up and we were like ships passing in the night and every now and then we'd end up in the same ship. Yeah. And we, we got together again in, I think the next time we got together was, we were asked to write a piece for the Eurovision and we wrote this piece for the Eurovision called Time Dance and we performed that and uh, it's it's forgotten, I think, that out of Time Dance came River Dance. Just gonna say, yeah, I didn't know that, yeah, yeah. If you look back, actually, I, I think it's there on YouTube. You'll see the, the the Planksty time dance, and we got together with the Irish Ballet Company, and we're there playing, and there's all these ballet. Uh, Fabulous! That, that's that, very that's very <laughs> Edward's time, though, was it? It was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the piece you've chosen from Planksty, Tom Shum Colour. Talk us through. We're going to hear it, but. What, what we should listen out for and why it, it means so much to you. Well, for me, like playing in Planksty, one of the high points for me was, was when Liam would do a solo. Uh, every Planksty concert would have a, a Liam O'Flynn solo. And sometimes he, he might play a, a reel or he, he might play a set of jigs. or, But occasionally he would do a slow air. And they were special moments for me when Liam w- would play the the Dark Slender Boy or he would play... Tom Shittim Culler. And for the sixth Planksty album, I remember Liam and Donald performed this piece. I just love it. I just love it. In actual fact, for, for the last couple of years, I finish, when I finish my gigs every night, Tom Shittim Culler comes up in the PA. And uh, I just think it's a beautiful piece. Obviously, the gigs have stopped now because of COVID, which is a shame. But you're you're kind of thriving at the moment. You were. Do you still get as much enjoyment from a gig now as you did fifty years ago? More, I think. Do you? Oh yeah. I suppose as you get towards the the, the end of the journey, when you're a young fella, you're out there and you're full of all kinds of stuff, you know. And and uh, I mean, I went from being a fucking bank clerk to being a ballad singer in the folk clubs in England and I couldn't believe it and then I arrived back and I'm playing with a band Planksty and we're number one in the charts and wow whereas now first of all I have a much broader repertoire now back then I used to do two 20 minute spots now I go out and I play for two hours I go to a very kind of special place when I'm singing now a place I didn't go to as a younger man I think I enjoy it more now than ever before 
you become more aware of, of, of what's going on around you, you mm. know. You, you're more aware of the feelings in the room. Let's go to a song, Long Balconies. It's a great urban kind of song. You you might describe better than me what, what it's about. Well, my, my wife, Val, heard this song on the radio and she was taken with it and told me about it and I just started listening to Lazarus Soul and then we went to hear them in Whelan's and they were really, really good, you know. This song is just, it's contemporary. It's, a, it's about now, it's about the way people are living now and the way people are living their lives and it's sung with great passion and credibility and uh, they're a very musical band and I just got off on it but with regard to what it means to me I sometimes prefer to let people listen and to have their own to kind of inhabit them songs with their own pictures you know but I went to look at one of their videos and long balconies I know the point of music is you shouldn't need an image to show you but the very first image is the Dublin Corporation flats and all the balconies going across yeah. and the doors are there and that's where the long balconies were but it's very powerful about it's, it's isn't really it powerful. yeah it is really he's powerful. a great singer yeah I'm glad you like it man Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 that bank strike was the greatest thing that ever happened to you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, 1966. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it the greatest thing to happen? Blessed, absolutely blessed, yeah. I mean, without the bank strike, I mean, I, I mightn't have escaped, you know, because I was involved. I was playing sport, I was playing rugby, and I was, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't content with my life, but I was kind of stuck in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. How long did it last, by the way, the strike? If, if, I, if I remember correctly, about five, four or five months. And you'd probably have stayed because you had the job. You were. I had the, You played rugby with two Newbridge, or, or no? But, but back then I was playing with, with Corinthians in in Galway. Oh, were you? Uh, yeah, it was the only time I actually got to play senior rugby was uh, uh, with did Corinthians. You? Yeah. What position did you play? I was a tight head prop. Were you? Yeah. And and you've I know you've sung to the Irish rugby team a few times. Yeah, eleven times now. Go away. Well, the last time they actually gave me uh, 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 last year, I, I got an Irish jersey with eleven caps on it, <laughs> referring to the fact that I performed for them eleven times yeah, yeah. over twenty years. You know, I, I know from some of the players they love it, and you obviously enjoy it oh. as well. Or you wouldn't have done it eleven times. Well, when I sit in a room with the Irish squad in front of me. I'm like a boy again. <laughs> it just affects me. Yeah. But it's the same, like I, I played for the Kildare team once and I went down and I played for my club Moorfield a few times. And just when you get... So, I also played for the Kildare ladies team before they, they won the interne, inter, oh, Intermediate. Yeah. And just to be surrounded by athletes and for them to be totally zoned in on the songs, it's a great buzz. Yeah. Love it. But have you have you had a favourite rugby player, for instance? Well, my favourite singer. Yeah. The, the, the best singer was Dennis Leamy. He sang The Contender with me, and it's a good while ago now, but I still remember it. And then uh, Trevor Brennan sang Ordinary Man with me, and uh, that was something else. He blew me off the stage. Dunnock O'Callaghan sang uh, Bright Blue Rose, but we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is all a long way away from uh, the bank strike that brought you and got you away from... Could you that happen? Do you think your life might have been just you to stay playing your sport and working in the bank? And well, I suppose the only thing I can say about about being in the bank is I wasn't. I was no good at it. Jeez, I was always getting into trouble, sending me home to shave, to change me shirt. <laughs> and I remember a fellow down in Clamells giving out to me for singing in pubs. That's not the kind of thing a bank official should be doing, Mr. Moore. You should be playing bridge or joining the golf club. And I say, Mother of Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here at all? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, 
when you went over to England first, had you had you fellas to go and stay with when you arrived there? Well, I had an aunt up in Lancashire who who was had a pub. Right. And I stayed there for a while and worked in the bar. Was it one of the cities or a town? It was outside Bury. Then I met up with the Grahan sisters from Boyle in County Roscommon. And they told me about the folk scene. They were living up in Manchester and they invited me up to Manchester in late 66. Gave me a few support slots. And then it slowly began to happen for me. I got my first gig from Mike Harding, the, the, oh, the English yeah. singer. Still a very good friend of mine. He gave me my first real gig in the old house at home in Blakely in Manchester. What made it a real gig compared to the other ones? You were headline, you were the main I was man. booked into a folk club, I was the guest, and I did two 20-minute spots, and I got paid £3. And were you surviving financially in the in the few weeks before that? It was great difficulty, but that was okay. Like, I was 22, 23, and uh, I had no responsibility. I had a guitar and a sleeping bag, and I had a basket of songs. When the strike ended, had you decided before the bank strike ended, I'm not going back? I did come back and made my way to Ballyhonas and resigned because by doing that, I got back pay. Part part of the deal was get the back pay. So I came back, got the back pay, went and told my mother that I resigned from the bank, God love her. And then (laughs) then I went back (laughs) off to England and uh, got stuck into the ballads in a big way. The folk scene in England was very different from the ballad scene in Ireland. There were two different animals, you know. It could be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people. And there were all different kinds of folk clubs, you know, that, that would be focused on different genres of folk music. Some of them would be traditional and some of them would be contemporary. Some of them would concentrate on kind of humorous songs. And So you'd have Billy Connolly in, in one place, you'd have Ralph McTellan in another place, and you'd have the Watersons or... You know, Great names. I yeah. encountered all these people. <laughs> then I met a man called Hamish Imlock from Scotland, and he became my mentor. And I travelled around with him, and I went to all his gigs, and he would invite me up to do a floor spot. And I got started getting gigs then in different places. And This was no overnight success? No, but it was it was so exciting. It, it didn't seem like hard work. I mean, it was hard. There was hard travelling involved, and hard dosing and hard living but behind it all it was really exciting and hearing all these different like hearing Ewan McCall for the first time and, and hear him singing the first time ever I saw your face and yeah. becoming kind of f- friendly with these people it, it was it was a very exciting time Absolutely, yeah. and, and the power I mean the names you've thrown out are legendary names. Did you feel a bit intimidated, is Christy coming along, or did you just naturally become friends with them? Well, no, I felt very much, I, I was an apprentice, really, to, yeah. to, to many of them. I remember I met a, a wonderful singer over there called Paddy Manus Bourne, uh, who was from Ardra in County Donegal, and uh, he only died in the last couple of years. Uh, he achieved great age, but he was a great help to me, and I used to stay with him in... in uh, Ardwick Green in Manchester and uh, no it was it was a wonderful time Des it was a wonderful time and when did you feel you 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 were no longer an apprentice well probably when I came back uh, I mean I recorded I I met Dominic Behan in in 1968 and it was at an Irish civil rights concert in London and I sang a couple of songs he was the main singer on the night and he came to me afterwards and we chatted a bit and he invited me out to his house in Middlesex and uh, he said he, he'd, he'd like to get me recorded. And he did. And he produced the first album. 
and that was released on the Mercury label in 1969. And, and how did it do, Christy? It didn't. It, it was released and instantly deleted. I think there were 500 copies pressed. But that didn't matter because I had an album. And in those days, that carried something. If you turned up at a folk club with a vinyl album, it, it meant something, you know. Then that led me to my second album. And the second album was with a man called Bill Leader, who started off his own label and invited me to record an album. And I said, well, could, could we go back to Ireland and record it? Because I'd heard Sweeney's Men, and also I was still in touch with Donal Lunny. And I came back to Ireland for the second album and met up with Donal, Andy Irvin and Liam O'Flynn and recorded Prosperous. And that led on to Planks Deep Informed. Prosperous, as in Prosperous County Kildare? Yeah, as the village, yeah, yeah. yeah, of Prosperous. Or we used to say, Prosperous. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going out to Prosperous tonight? <laughs> your solo career, the breadth of, of, what you, of your repertoire is so great, as, as you mentioned earlier. Do you, ever, do you have favourite songs, or does that change from time to time? Well, it changes from time to time, but there would be certain songs that would go would go go through my life. That that, I mean, for example, the first song I ever learnt as a small boy was Kevin Barry. I very seldom sing it now, but I still love the song. I think I've only gigged it twice in in fifty years. Not for any, maybe it's just kind of a. I don't personal, know. Yeah. It's a precious. It's a precious mm. thing within me. I love the, the the meeting of the waters, and I've never gigged that. But from the point of view of songs professionally, there's a song called Lord Baker that I love to sing. The Well Below the Valley, Magdalene Laundry. At the moment, I'm I'm working on a song at the moment from, from the writer Paul Doran. And, and Paul wrote Natives, which I recorded 30 years ago. And he wrote The Gardener, which I recorded five years ago. But this current song is, it's my obsession at the moment. I'm writing a song myself at the moment that I'm enjoying. It's a song about going to hear Bob Dylan. How many songs would you get sent to you in a year, roughly? They come from all kinds of different places, you know. Sometimes people send me something directly. Sometimes they'll send it to the management. Sometimes they'll send it to the record company. Sometimes they'll contact my brother in Cork or my sister in Newbridge and say, is there any chance you could get this to Christie?" you know? It come from all directions. But like in the last couple of years... A guy from Nashville sent me a song from London. Dylan Walsh is a singer from Bray who lives in Nashville. And he sent me a song by a guy called Rob Rob Corcoran. I recorded it. And it's a really, really good song. It's called Ringing the Bell. Still they keep on ringing the bell Through the blacked-out window on my bed set hell And uh, songs come from all kinds of different places. I got a song from Albert Nyland from Mumbelio in County Galway. And uh, I love Albert singing. And he sent me this song from San Francisco called Irish Pagan Ritual. Sail on, sail on, Jimmy, sail on, Jimmy boy. It's got a wonderful chorus, you know. I sang it in the marquee in Cork three years ago. And it was the first time the audience ever heard it. And by the second chorus, they were singing it. And by the third chorus, (laughs) they were singing it. And that's a great sign of a song. I think it's also very important to name the people who've written the songs. Yeah. You know, because well, without that, I mean, without the songs of Jimmy McCarthy and Christy Hennessy and Johnny Doohan and all the people who've shared their songs with me, yeah. Johnny Spillane, all these great writers, 
I've been privileged to sing their songs. And you mentioned then also that there's a song now that has become your passion almost. Paul Doran sent me a song, and, and Paul is one of my favourite songwriters. And just from the, the moment I heard this song, I, I, was, I was very taken with it. And uh, I've spent the last six weeks working on it. And I went in last week and I recorded it. And I think it's the start of a new album. And I think I'm going to do it solo as well. To reflect the times that we're in, I think I'm just going to do it with voice and guitar. You work on it for six weeks, so what, what's involved in that process of working on it? Well, first of all, I've, I, I'm very bad on chords. I'm very limited on chords. I've got a very bad left hand. I find it very, very difficult to chord songs. And right throughout my life, I've, in, in, in earlier times, Donald Lunny would always record, write out the chords for me. And latterly, Declan Sinnott would write out the chords for me. But of course, in lockdown, uh, I had to work out the mm. chords for myself. And that took a while. And then I've got to get the phrasing right. Sometimes I, I, I will need to change the lyric. And some writers are very cool with that and are not bothered, whereas others are extremely particular. And like when I contacted Paul about this, I'd made a few changes and I could tell he wasn't that impressed. And I reverted to his original and they were actually better. You know, in the opening line of of the song, I I sang, uh, I filled the boat with what I hoped would last for all the journey. And he said, did you purposely change it from boats into boat? And I knew straight away what he meant, you know. By saying boat, it's just me leaving the land. By saying boats, it was everybody had to leave. And this new album, will it be all new material or...? Or will you, you were talking earlier about reinventing some old stuff. I think I need to do an album of new material. I think on the last, the last two albums, there was only two new songs. One called Rosalita and Jack Mm. Campbell, written by Sean Moan. And a great song, I think, by Pete St. John. And it's called The Inchicore Wake. And I had the great pleasure of singing this song in the National Concert Hall last year. Pete St. John was in the front row and I introduced him and he stood up and the crowd rose. Because, I mean, when you think of the songs he's written, there was a thing a couple of years ago there on RTE called Ireland's Favourite Folk Song and the fields of Athan Roy wasn't in it. No, I couldn't get over that. That has to be Ireland's Favourite Folk Song, (laughs) you know? All over the world. The soldiers field in Merseyside, in Glasgow, mm. all over Ireland. Low lie the fields of Athenry. What do you think, this? And everyone knows and everyone sings along with it. Everyone. Yeah, and some people think, I think young people think that's a real old song. But Pete certainly has done oh, some yeah. outstanding work. Yeah. He really, you know, yeah. a, a lovely man as well, you know, and a very modest, humble man, you know, and... and uh, but we are lucky, aren't we, with some of the, the outstanding songs we have here. I remember going to Lansdowne Road a while back. The music they played during an international was appalling. They didn't play one Irish. And the actual Welsh fans that day outsung yeah. the Irish. Why the hell can't we do that here, you know? I actually wrote to the IRFU about it and, and gave a list of songs that would would, would have got the audience singing. But they never wrote back to me, this. <laughs> Christy Moore's after writing again. <laughs> With two other songs to talk about, Christy, and one is your brother by Luca Bloom, The Man Is Alive. Well, you know, 
When I left home, there's, uh, I suppose I really left home in Newbridge when I was about 16. And then I went away to England uh, when I was 20. And w- when I left Barry, as he was then, he was then Barry Moore, he's now Luca Bloom, he was 10. And when I came back then, he was playing a guitar. When I came back the next time, he was getting real tasty, you know. And, uh, of course, subsequently then, he went on the road and, and started recording and started gigging. And I'm the eldest and he's the youngest of six. In between, we have Eilish and Terry and Andy. And uh, he's a, well, he's one of my favourite singers. But he wrote this song about Daddy, and it's called The Man Is Alive In Me. Like, Barry has no memories of Daddy. He he was 18 months when when, when, he, when Daddy died. I'm very taken with it. And, and uh, there's a beautiful version of it on YouTube. I think he's singing it in Holland. I just thought it would be nice to, 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 to give it a play on, on, on your desert island. Funny enough, we we all have uh, we all seem to have Daddy's picture on the wall, and we all seem to have Daddy and Mammy's picture on the wall. So, you know, I'm seventy five now. That's sixty four years since Daddy died, but he's still in my life. You know, and he's still in Barry's life or Luca's life. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. The man is alive. Luca Bloom, a song about. Father of today's guest, Christy Moore, and you're your father yourself, obviously, and your children have grown up now. With three chattels. <laughs> chattels, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're never full adults, sure they're not when you're the parents. Ah, no, it's great. <laughs> it's great when they become your pals. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. You know, it's special. And uh, Andy lives in, in Sally Noggin, Juno lives in Dunleary, and Porrick lives in, in Brussels. Yeah. And they're all well partnered up and... Uh, Andy and Nikki have given us two beautiful grandkids. It's a nice place to be in life. It is indeed, yeah. 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 Um, my good woman, my Valerie, is the rock in my life. You've chosen the Clancy Brothers, Christy. When I was 13, 14, 15, I was heavily into rock and roll, buying a 78 at Jailhouse Rock in McGovern's music shop in Newbridge. And then I heard about the Clancy Brothers, and then Turlock McGowan had an LP of the Clancy Brothers. And then we heard they were coming to Dublin. And when I was 16, I heard the Clancy Brothers in the Gaiety Theatre, and it changed my life. It just changed, it changed everything for me, you know. There was just such a vibe off them. And incidentally, I discovered many, many decades later that my wife, Valerie, was also at that gig that night. Actually. <laughs> and this is 10 years before we met. That's gas. We were both at that gig. And I got to meet those guys over the years. I met them all individually. I can remember where I was when I met them all, you know. Liam Clancy, I heard him singing at a flak hole in Bun Clody, And he was standing out in the street on a sunny Sunday afternoon with his guitar singing a song. And it was wonderful. Tommy Mickham had a big influence on a lot of stuff, you know. And then meeting uh, Tom and meeting Paddy. Paddy I, only, I met Paddy once and he came to hear me one night. I was doing a concert and he came backstage afterwards and talked to me and it was very special. I mean, they played Carnegie Hall before they played the Gaiety. Oh, they were a great bunch. I mean, they, they changed a lot. They changed Ireland. Yeah. I believe they did, you know. In what sense? I was a different guy. I, I, I went into the Gaiety that night and I was different coming out. I saw the world differently, you know. They, they kind of they started breaking. The, the chains began to break then, you know. This is strange to link you to this, but in a way, to me, you encapsulate 
how Ireland has changed in 40, 50 years better than most because your songs have reflected on a lot of the things. We didn't have a pride in ourselves internationally. You know, we were put down in Britain. You know, Irish lads getting jobs in England. Mm. Now we've all these professional people, you know, we're running the banks in England. We're not digging the ditches. We're, you know, with sporting success and international musical success. And the dark clouds that were over us, church issues and all of these, and love it, we've kind of moved on or we've we've broken those chains as well and you've kind of represented that whole blanket. We still have chains though, you know. Yeah. And you're talking there about the fellows who run the banks and the airlines and the fellows who dig the ditches. I prefer the fellows that dig the ditches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been extraordinary change in this. Oh country. yeah, there's no doubt about it, you know. And uh, maybe uh, not all good, as you say, you don't like a lot of it. Um, well, you know, it's... it's uh, the world, the world changes constantly, you know, and we, we've had, a, there have been scary times across the world and, and there have been terrible things that have happened in Ireland and, and but through all the good and bad times, there's nothing quite like the present moment, you know. This, this is a different time. I just wish everybody well, whether they're running airlines or running banks or digging ditches. And we'll play out, Christy, with the Clancy Brothers. Yeah. And that's one song, Brennan on the Moor. Thank you, Chris. Let's go for it, Des. Let's go for it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.